Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and you're listening to Call Number with American Libraries. Halloween is nearly here, and leading up to the holiday, many of us do all sorts of activities to put ourselves in a spooky mood taking haunted hayrides, watching horror movies, and carving pumpkins. And sometimes we dust off that shelf of Stephen King, Shirley Jackson, and Anne Rice books and sink our teeth into a terrifying story that keeps us up at night. What is it about the horror genre that fascinates us, sometimes repulses us, and yet keeps us coming back for more? This episode, we're discussing horror and all the things we love about the creepy and thrilling genre. First, I talked to Goosebumps and Fear Street author R.L. Stein. In this interview from ALA's 2022 annual conference in Washington, D.C., we discussed what it's like writing horror for kids and how he fuses spooky and silly concepts together in his books. Next, members of the Call Number podcast team and a couple of our listeners answer the question, what horror or non-horror movie scared you as a child and does it still scare you to this day? Finally, ALA Edition senior editor Jamie Santoro chats with Becky Spratford, a reader's advisory specialist based in Chicago. She runs RA for All, a blog that connects librarians with book recommendations for patrons and also reviews horror fiction for several publications. She and Santoro discuss how to tailor media recommendations to different audiences and what trends are emerging in the horror genre today. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. Geico thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why, when you go to geico.com disc slash ALA, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local Geico agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the ALA. And be sure to ask how Geico could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With Geico, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com D-I-S-C A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local Geico agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Before R.L. Stein became the horror writer many generations love today, he wrote several books under the name Jovial Bob Stein, so it makes sense that his Goosebumps series is both horrifying and hilarious. I caught up with Stein before his presentation at ALA's 2022 annual conference. (laughs) 
You recently announced your first original horror comic book series for adults, Stuff of Nightmares. What was it like to write horror for grown-ups? Did you approach it differently from writing horror for kids? Well, I usually don't like writing for adults. This is an experiment for me. Um, I actually don't understand why anyone would want to write for adults. Because my audience, the 7 to 11 year old audience, the middle grade audience, is the best audience there is. I get them the last time in their lives that they'll ever be enthusiastic. They turn 12, they have to be cool, and they're lost. That's it, they're gone to authors. So trying to do some adult comic books is actually fun. When I was a kid, there were these great comic books, horror comics, uh, Tales from the Crypt and the Vault of Horror. And I just loved them. They were very adult and very ghastly and all had funny twist endings. And that's kind of, it's kind of, I'm going back to my childhood here, that's, that's what I'm trying to do with Stuff of Nightmares. You have famously said in interviews that your epitaph would be, he got boys to read. Were you ever expecting Goosebumps and Fear Street to become such a phenomenon with hundreds of millions of copies sold? Why do you think kids took to these series? Well, when we started Goosebumps and Pierce, I mean, I had no idea. I, it's the kind of thing you can't plan on. Say, well, I'm going to plan a best-selling series for 30 years. You can't do that. And actually, I will tell you the honest truth. When I didn't really want to do Goosebumps. And no one had ever done a scary book series for that age group. And I thought it might mess up my Fear Street audience. So that's the kind of businessman I am. I didn't want to do goosebumps. Do you believe that? And when we started out, I said, all right, okay, let's try two or three. Now it's 30 years later. And I, I think that goosebumps has this sustaining power. I think kids like it because it's not linear. It doesn't tell a linear story. There are all kinds of bumps on the way. There are all kinds of twists and turns and it teases the reader. They don't really know. There's one part in every book where the reader says, oh no, I, didn't, I had no idea that's what was going on. And I think, that's, I think they like that teasing quality. What was your inspiration or process for coming up with the monsters that haunt your characters in Goosebumps? Do you have a favorite or is there one that really scares you? I have a favorite character and a least favorite character and they're both Slappy the Evil Dummy. Uh, he's, he's become so popular, largely I think because of the two Goosebumps movies, but he's so popular, this is true, in my contract it says that every other book has to be about Slappy, every other one. So I, I'm glad he's so popular, I like writing him because he's so rude, he's like an insult comedian and I like writing that. But I also, he's my least favorite character because it's impossible to come up with more plots. I've written 15 books about a dummy that comes to life, right? What else could happen? I even killed him off in one. I wrote The Ghost of Slappy, but I had to bring him back. Goosebumps cover art is iconic. Did you play a role in helping illustrators conceptualize and design the art for your work and striking that balance of sinister and funny? Um, the artist, uh, Tim Jacobus, did the first hundred Goosebumps paintings for the covers. And he was pretty much on his own because I would be writing the books when he would have to be doing the, painting the cover. So I would send over um, 
just a little paragraph of what the book was about. And he had to do the cover from that. And he just did an amazing job of capturing not just scary, not just scary covers, but funny covers too. And you know, I have a new book coming out this fall. A new ser I need a new series, right? Called Stein Tinglers. And the cover on Stein Tinglers, I think when you see it, is pretty amazing. It's, uh, it has that same feel to it. And jumping off that question, um, what can readers expect from your new series, Stein Tinglers? Well, these are all new, it's the short stories. I haven't done a series of short stories. And the first book is 10 new short stories, um, and which is a, a new thing for me. And they're, they're very scary, but they're for my same age group. They're still middle grade. Do you remember the first thing you ever wrote? And was it funny or scary? The first thing I ever wrote when I was a kid, I did little comic books and little joke books. And I only, I never was scary as a kid. I never planned to be scary. I only wanted to be funny. And I just, I wrote jokes. I wrote all these little joke magazines and I would take them into school and pass them around to get attention, I guess. And people always ask me, did you have a teacher who encouraged you? Did you have a teacher who encouraged you to write? And I always have to say the opposite because my teachers begged me to stop. Please, Bob, please don't bring these into school. Please stop. And I've often thought if they didn't beg me to stop, maybe I would have. And what role have libraries played in your life? Um, a librarian changed my life. When I was nine, when I was a kid, I didn't read books at all. I read only comic books. I was a comic book freak. And one day, my mom dropped me off at the little library in my hometown, and the librarian was waiting for me. And she said, Bobby, I know you like comic books. I have something else you will like. And she took me to a shelf of Ray Bradbury stories. And those stories changed my life. They were so wonderful, so beautifully written, so imaginative, so all surprise endings. And that turned me into a reader. That's when I started to read books, thanks to Ray Bradbury and thanks to that librarian. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. Geico thinks that last part should apply to you too. That's why when you go to geico.com slash disc slash ALA, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local Geico agent for a fast, no obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the ALA. And be sure to ask how Geico could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With Geico, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you even save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local Geico agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. What horror or non-horror movie scared you as a child, and does it still scare you today? For me, uh, the horror movie that scared me the most as a child was the American version of The Grudge. 
So when I was younger, I had really long black hair, and so did the ghost girl in that movie. So I remember being so terrified that I would somehow become possessed by her, just because we looked alike. And um, when I was younger, my family had this really nice basement with a big TV, so I would fall asleep watching movies there all the time during the summer. And one night, my brother had watched The Grudge on DVD while I was asleep, and then he probably fell asleep too. Um, But when I woke up in the morning, the first thing that I saw was that DVD menu looking at me in the face and the ghost girl like clips of her were all over it. And it was just the scariest music ever for a DVD menu. And I was horrified. (laughs) And um, I mean, I've always loved horror movies, so not a lot scares me these days. But uh, that's just one movie that I won't touch even to this day. I don't want to watch it. It scares me. Now, other members of the Call Number podcast team and a couple of our listeners share their horror movie memories as well. Hi, my name is Todd Enoch, and I am the Subscription and Resource Management Librarian at the University of North Texas Libraries. I've been a horror fan for as long as I can remember, and very few things actually scare me, but the first movie I can really remember scaring me as a kid was Poltergeist. And specifically when the clown doll came to life. If there's anything guaranteed to freak me out as a kid, it was dolls coming to life. Um, Poltergeist is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. I watch it every few years, and the scene doesn't quite freak me out the way it did back then, but it still brings me memories of the first time that something got under my skin. Hi, my name is Peter Egler. I'm the head of Owen Library at the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown in Johnstown, PA, and I'm also a member of the American Libraries Advisory Group. Uh, In response to the question, what was the first movie that scared me as a kid and why, um, I remember when I was about uh, seven years old, I went to see the movie War of the Gargantuans, which was a monster movie, um, and uh, the first scene is a giant octopus attacking a ship. I was so scared by it that I ran out of the theater and um, insisted that my sister take me home. Uh, I subsequently saw the movie as an adult, and it wasn't all that scary. But I certainly remember that experience uh, when I was seven years old. Hi, this is Sanhita Sinroy, editor and publisher of American Libraries Magazine. Not a movie, but as a kid, I was terrified of this one watch commercial. It just ticked and kept ticking, and I don't remember the brand, but it terrified me as a kid, and I think that's probably what led me to work in a field where I have deadlines um, to adhere to, because that clock is... I would have terror sweats now if I heard that commercial again. This is Carrie Smith. I'm the Editorial and Advertising Associate for American Libraries. And the first movie that scared me was not a horror movie at all. It was All Dogs Go to Heaven. I was about four. And I don't think I was really ready to think that much about death. And uh, oddly, that movie made me very uncomfortable with the sound of ticking clocks for much of my childhood. Uh, They still bother me a little bit, um, but when I was younger, I made my parents more or less get rid of or stop all of the ticking clocks in the house. I'm American Libraries Managing Editor Tara Dankowski, 
And the horror movie that scared me as a kid would have to be Arachnophobia, a 1990 film starring Jeff Daniels. My parents took it out of the library. I must have been six or seven. And it's this giant swarm of spiders that takes over a town. And I'm not particularly scared of house spiders or small bugs, but this movie was disgusting. Just huge, itchy spiders. And I didn't want to go to bed after we watched it. So to calm me down, my mom popped in a VHS of The New Adventures of Madeline, a cartoon based on the children's book series. You know the one. It's uh, They left the house at half past nine in two straight lines for inner shine. The smallest one was Madeline. I have never revisited arachnophobia. Just absolutely no interest. Only sweet stories about French boarding schools from now on. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. Geico thinks that last part should apply to you too. That's why when you go to geico.com D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local Geico agent for a fast, no obligation quote. You could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the A-L-A. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Thanks again to GEICO for sponsoring our episode. Different things scare different people. Chicago-based Reader's Advisory Specialist Becky Spratford has tips and tricks on suggesting horror media to patrons, and she also shares what makes the genre so appealing. ALA Editions Senior Editor Jamie Santoro talks with Spratford to learn more. Hi, Becky. Welcome to Call Number. Jamie, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about horror. It is that time of year. Yeah. Well, first, and for those of us who are not horror readers, can you explain the appeal of the genre? Um, so in my book, The Reader's Advisory Guide to Horror, I have a definition. That definition is that horror is a story in which the author manipulates the reader's emotions by introducing situations in which the unexplainable um, in which unexplainable phenomena and unearthly creatures threaten the protagonists and provoke terror in the reader. And the appeal lies from that definition. People who are listening to this right now, I know we have a range of opinions about why people, what people think horror is that are listening. So for example, some people will be like, hmm, you just said that it has to have, basically I said it has to have speculative elements in that definition. It has to have unearthly phenomenon, unexplainable things. And a lot of people will say things like, oh, well, I really think that um, serial killer stories are scary and they're horror, but your definition leaves those out. Now, I'm not going to ever argue with a patron but about what is horror or what isn't, but here's the key. Yes, I have in that speculative element because it is key if we want to really be specific about what horror is. But the appeal there is what matters. And in that appeal is in that definition. When I said it purposely tries to provoke terror in the reader, it manipulates readers' emotions. 
So that's the core of why horror is appealing. And it is its definition. So if you have somebody who finds the real world more scary than monsters, which I totally can understand, um, that's okay too. What matters is that appeal is how it makes you feel. It's all about the tone and the mood of the story when we talk about appeal. More than the characters, more than the plot, more than anything. Provoking terror gives voice to people's fears. It creates this uneasy atmosphere. And I like to say you literally feel it in your gut. Wow. What a wonderful explanation. Um, what got you interested in horror? I, I like to tell the story of like my my horror beginning. Um, goes back to when I was a kid, probably way too young. I know I was less than 13 because all of this was tied to my my um, Hebrew school schedule. So it had to be before my bat mitzvah. But um, I would go to Hebrew school Wednesday nights from six to eight every Wednesday night. And my sisters were younger and they were still only going to the Sunday school version. And I remember we would go to the local mall in Flemington, New Jersey, because yes, I am a stereotype in New Jersey going to the mall. And we would go to the local mall and my dad needed to kill time because the littlest sister was being put to bed. So I couldn't come home because that would disrupt bedtime. So we would go to the mall and just sort of hang out because what else do you do in New Jersey in the, you know, mid to late 1980s? So we went and we would some weeks we'd go to the record store, but we didn't go to the bookstore. And my father was a big Stephen King reader. And so I asked to go find the section where Stephen King books would be. And back then there was an occult section. And I, some of you may know where this is going if you're a similar age to me, but I found V.C. Andrews at a very young age and was reading that. And I grew up in a family where my dad said we could read, you know, my parents said we could read whatever we wanted. And they didn't check what we were reading. I would be left alone at the library for hours on the weekends. So um, every so often I was allowed to buy a book. And these were those mass market paperbacks. They weren't a lot of money. And so my dad bought me a lot of V.C. Andrews. And I think, though, what drew me to that occult section, right, was this idea that I lived a pretty typical middle-class, suburban New Jersey life, nothing super exciting. And there was all this illicit and dark and scary things going on in these stories. And, you know, fiction is an escape. And I was drawn to something that was completely different than my life. And and I just kept seeking it out. And And it did help that my dad had all of the Stephen King books on the shelf, too. Well, given that everyone has different terror thresholds, how mm -hmm. do you recommend horror to readers? How do you decide what fits who? Th that's a great question. It's, you know, I like to say, you know, it's, it's readers advisory is always about figuring out what people are going to like and why. So the first thing we have to remember is we have to think about any limiters that come with horror, because a lot of people say, I want horror um, especially when we're talking about October and the spooky season, people are coming to it to try it. So as, if we're talking about people who are brand new to horror, which there's a lot now because, right, it's so popular. Um, there's a lot of it in media and um, people, there's a lot of mainstream authors writing it. The first thing I remind people is that it is populated by supernatural monsters and will have speculative elements. And right there, that leaves a lot of people out. And they were thinking more that, like I said before, that serial killer angle, that psychological suspense, scary, unreliable narrator, or even people who are thinking like squid games, right? Which 
is also, I would argue, is horror because there is this science fiction speculative element to it. But ultimately, they make it into like more of a real world possible situation. So those people might not want to go to horror. And then in that case, you move them to serial killers, psychological suspense, things like that. I also let people know that because we're trying to provoke fear, anxiety, dread, all of these things, there could be violence, strong language, things like that in the story. Um, although I have plenty of suggestions that don't have it. Um, and also, especially with mo more recent titles, people who haven't read horror or haven't really thought about it since like the 80s think that, oh, well, we always know that there's going to be that final girl, that somebody's going to make it out of life. And honestly, with more recent titles, no character is safe and main characters do die in the story. And I know it sounds repetitive, but I do remind people that awful and uncomfortable things will happen. Um, so those are possible limiters to giving people horror. And that's, you know, when you talk about a genre and any kind of genre with people, um, you want to make sure you're thinking about that as we're thinking about terror thresholds. You can look for keywords in professional reviews. They're a huge help. And if we're talking about working with readers, no matter what their level is, what their threshold is, if we use the words of others, of the experts, people who've read the book, even if we haven't, it can help us to help our readers. So when you're looking at the lower end of gore and fear, we look for words like atmospheric, creepy, gothic. And as we move up, we're in the more middle level, I would say, and these are, you know, these are things I do when I write reviews, dread, unease, frightening, menacing, bleak, that's in the middle. And at the upper end, you'll see words that you probably, you probably can tell right away, intense, terror, gore, violent, gruesome, because reviewers really want you to know what that threshold is. What is your experience <clears throat> recommending horror books to children and teens? And what tips do you have for that? Sure. I have lots of tips for that. The first tip is the parents are more worried about it than the kids. <laughs> um, so, and I worked at a teen desk for many years and I volunteered at the school library. Look, think about yourself. Think of kids love to be scared. The first time we're introduced to horror as children is almost always with ghost stories at a sleepover, right? And so kids are fascinated by ghosts and um, the things that are go bump in the night and all of these things. And the other thing I want to say when parents get worried about giving horror to kids of any age is um, what I say to them is how are we going to expect kids to deal with adverse things and terrible things in their own lives in the news, whatever it is, if we don't have a safe space for them to explore those dark fears, those dark thoughts, those terrible things in a way where, unlike adult literature, there's a happy ending. The middle grade and teen horror books, the good wins and the protagonists are safe. And I think that that actually is a place where I send some of my adult readers who are a little wary about it being too dark. But here's the thing especially middle grade right now. And, and YA has been doing this for a while, but some of the best stories we're getting are in middle grade. In fact, I've been working for now going on to year five with a national reading program that Booklist is a sponsor of, as well as United for Libraries, uh, the Horror Writers Association and Book Riot. And it's called Summer Scares, where we vet 
um, three adult, three middle grade, and three teen books every single year to suggest that you can give to a wide audience. Not only do we do that, we provide four reader likes for each of the three titles, book discussion guide for every book. So these are great go-to titles for you to feel safe as a library worker. We have a team of experts that are all library workers who suggest these titles. But when I talk to the kids, I try to get to them and be like, so what scares you? Because with kids, you know, you might not want to give them the thing that scares them the most. So if they're scared of the dark, you might not want to give them something that's set in like a dark forest. So tell me, what are the trends you're seeing in horror right now? So specifically what I'm seeing is there's a horror renaissance. It's Mm. everywhere. And I think we see that in media first and foremost. Not only is it everywhere, it's accepted. So we have people like Sylvia Marina Garcia, Stephen Graham Jones, um, Grady Hendrix regularly making the bestseller list, Paul Tremblay with all of their books. And people aren't questioning. I mean, Stephen Graham Jones won the Mark Twain Prize for American Voice last year. I don't really see how more legitimate you get for The Only Good Indians, which is 100% a horror book than that, right? That is legit. It's American literature. Um, And in my book, I do talk about one of the things we can see about the growth of horror in the mainstream consciousness is how horror movies are coming out all year long. And horror books, especially these blockbuster books that don't come out in um in october in fact i'm seeing the next stephen graham jones the next grady hendrix are coming out in february of 2023 um paul tremblay comes out every summer sylvia marino garcia has a book every summer we're not holding things to october same with movies we just had nope come out in the middle of summer as a summer blockbuster um but it's it's not just that it's accepted and that people are using or imbibing in it whatever you know taking it in during all year long but it's also that it's everywhere. So think about some of the most popular podcasts are scare-based, whether they're true crime or they're pseudopod or other podcasts. And then even just looking at television. I mean, you just you want to take like awards as your example. We've got the Emmy nominations right at, out right now while we're recording this. And we have in each major category, in drama, we have Stranger Things up for best drama. And in comedy, we have What We Do in the Shadows up for best comedy. Both are horror, 100%. So definitely across the board being accepted. Um, and I think that with people like Stephen Graham Jones in the literature and P- and Paul Tremblay and then people like Jordan Peele with movies we're un- who are winning major awards outside of their genres, right? We're seeing this um, ability to look at horror as for everyone and all the time and it doesn't, you know, I don't lose the notion here, the, the thread that Stephen Graham Jones is Native American, Jordan Peele's Black. They also talk about marginalization and the tension that's there, which is extremely horrific and adds a whole nother level to horror that is real life horror and makes the stories even better. So, I mean, I think that's the trends I'm seeing. But in terms of specific trends, um, in terms of like things to look for. Uh, I'm going to just be like serious and then funny. Um, In seriousness, retellings and looking at things, like I said, um, especially from marginalized perspectives, like things like Lovecraft, looking at him who was a total horrible human being who hated anybody who wasn't white, heterosexual male, and looking at it from the perspective of the other is a really um, big trend. Um, 
body horror. Body horror is a huge trend right now, right? It's about this idea that the body itself can be the thing that's most scary. I like to talk about it in my book about how it's like the next step after zombies. Um, and let me tell you one other, two other things before I get to the funny one, but extreme horror, like this is a trend that we had erotica in libraries and now we're allowing extreme horror into libraries, which is important to understand if we're gonna have erotica, we can have extreme horror and it's getting legitimized with its own awards and some of its, some of the most um, well-reviewed books of the year, a really big author right now who's huge on TikTok and is selling like hotcakes in the small presses and like making the charts on Amazon and Barnes and Noble is Eric LaRocca. His books are a great example of that. He also happens to be queer. Um, and uh, also getting out more of the world's horror. Um, Valancourt does a very good job with their world book of horror and getting horror in translation out there. And those have been reviewed in um, Booklist as well. But there's so many more people now that are coming to the attention. Here's a book people, well, here's a book most people know is Hex by Thomas Oldveld, which was a big hit a few years ago. And he's Dutch. But another one that's an underground hit is Argentinian Tender is the Flesh. And that one imagines a world where, where meat has all been tainted. And so there are actual humans um, bred and raised to be food. And so that's a whole thing. But my fun one, I don't know why, but mushrooms. We are obsessed with mushrooms. I saw an article that said maybe it's because there are things that appear out of nowhere in darkness around dead things and that are damp. Um, but mushrooms, they are where it's at right now. That's one of the biggest fun trends. <laughs> wow. Who would have thought mushrooms? <laughs> They're big. <laughs> Happy Halloween to our listeners. For fun facts about the holiday, check out the By the Numbers section in the September-October issue of American Libraries. Next episode, we're exploring the marvels of medical libraries. Is there a story or topic you'd like us to cover? Let us know. We welcome feedback and hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.